Hello and welcome to this special series, which is a collaboration between the World Innovation Summit for Education, the Agile Leaders of Learning Innovation Network, and the Learning Future. We hope you enjoy these conversations where we speak with different leaders from different networks about how do we become a networked leader, one of the key ways that leadership is evolving in terms of what's required for us to lead learning ecosystems. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to this special podcast as part of the WISE All-In approach where we're focusing on the power of networks and our role as education leaders in bringing about transformation in education. Today we have a wonderful group compiled. I am your co-host for this episode, Luca Parry, and I'm joined by Jeff Johnson. And today we're speaking with Valerie Hannon from the UK and Tony Mackay from Australia, the US, and everywhere else in the globe. This is a wonderful opportunity to really delve into the ideas uh, and some of the practices around how might we catalyze networks in a powerful way. So to start us off, uh, let's just talk a little bit about the amazing work that we're all involved in. Um, Jeff, maybe let's start with you to give a bit of a sense of who you are, and then let's hear both from Valerie and Tony as well. Yeah, it's Jeff Johnson. I'm talking to you from Alberta, Canada, where we're currently under a foot of snow, early fall snow. Um, I work with school leaders in Alberta through the Alberta Teachers Association, uh, help aspiring school leaders as well to to move forward in their roles, provide professional learning opportunities for them. I'm the architect of the annual ULEAD conference that takes place in Banff, Alberta, and I'm a proud participant in the All In Network. Fantastic. Valerie Hannon, I mean, this question really to ask both you and Tony to introduce yourselves. It looks like Jeff, you know, amazing amount of networks uh, that you're involved in. Give us a sense about some of the particular work you're doing now in your journey. Uh, Hi, Luca. I'm speaking to you from England. We're in a very, very beautiful late autumn um, and reveling in our temperate climate, I have to say. Um, Well, I'd say, I think, to kick off, that networks have made me... um, I only grew up really professionally when I started to engage seriously in networks as a space for learning and as a space for creativity. Um, And I don't think, I mean, I've had a very long career and I've done most jobs in education, I think. Um, But it was only when I freed myself from hierarchical responsibility, running systems and became freer that I was liberated to engage in networks, um, both in terms of studying them, animating them, catalyzing them, and learning about them, and more significantly, being a participant, um, fully engaged in a number. So I could I could name a few, but I suppose the one that both Tony and I have been deeply engaged in in the last 14 years has been the Global Education Leaders Partnership. Um, which has sought to bring leaders, activists, entrepreneurs, people from all um, corners of the education space together to explore new ideas around transformation. And um, that's been a very extraordinary and privileged experience. Mm. Thank you, Valerie. Uh, And yeah, excited to delve into, you know, really your journey as a, a network leader and someone catalyzing building communities consistently across a period of time. Mm-hmm. Tony, 
Give us a bit of a sense as well. Thanks, yeah. uh, Luca. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Valerie. Um, wow, this is. I'm in the same space as uh, Valerie. Um, like this is our lives. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that it's been really part of, I think, um, the way in which we've talked about the work um, for a considerable period of time. And yet there are differences, as Valerie says, between, um, well, at least I'll, I'll, I'll uh, infer this, between being a, a kind of networked individual, <laughs> networking, mm. working in a network-based system, you, you, you know, like this is really interesting territory because I think no matter where uh, I have worked uh, with Valerie and others over several decades, there's always been the power of networks. Uh, now, we are talking about it, I think, within a context now of complex adaptive systems and uh, in the context perhaps more of learning ecosystems. But I have to say that uh, in previous uh, chapters, I would have been as committed to networking uh, when I worked with professional associations and bodies, when I worked uh, in and through ministers' offices or departments in uh, agencies, right, that mm. uh, have particular responsibility for parts of the education system. So there's all of that complexity that I think plays into this space. But what's emerged is that we are now talking about the DNA of a system, of an ecosystem, a network-based system, in the way in which power flows uh, and the way in which you get things done. Yeah, I think it's of a different order, but I don't think we should underestimate that there are versions of this uh, way of being and doing the work that are alive and well um, in, uh, in systems that are not necessarily emerging uh, as... Uh, more mature and, and sophisticated ecosystems. Mm. Yeah, and so and for some people, by the way, I think that you know if they're involved in movement building or they're involved in campaigns or they're involved in any kind of change process, they'll always argue that the currency that is the one that's going to help them get to where they want to be, right, is the power of networking. But we could tease this out in whichever way. So I guess maybe Valerie, one of the things might be. Um, the language we're using here, and we don't, we don't, in a in a way, uh, conflate uh, uh, different ways of using this term. Yeah, to come back in, I mean, it, it seems to me that over the last two decades, maybe twenty five years, one has seen a shift from a concept of networks and networked individuals yep. to a much more democratized version of that. Yep. And then a much more spread and horizontally diverse. Let me, let me take those three stages in turn. There was a time, and I go back to when I worked either in institutions or running systems, hierarchical systems, when people who were networked were the privileged few. And you came across them and were very envious. And they had what used to be called a Rolodex. And, you know, humble teachers or people working in 
you know, yeah. what I call ordinary circumstances, did not network. <clears throat> they kind of knew their place and they got on with the job. Um, and they were they were pretty much siloed, I think. And what happened then, in my judgment, Tony may take a different historical view of this, is that a number of people who had a much more visionary view about what education institutions might become intentionally set up network-based initiatives. I would cite amongst those, Tony, network learning communities yes. as a quite pivotal initiative internationally, yes. really, um, in which actually any teacher in a school would say, oh, you mean I don't just have to think about my classroom or my staff room or my, my senior leadership team. Actually, I can think of myself, I mean, I'll leave aside unions in this, and Jeff, you might have something to say about that. But I can think of myself with other schools and institutions in my patch as part of an education community which can set about intentionally learning from each other and with each other, being creative together, broadening the pool of ideas, doing a whole bunch of stuff, which actually was previously, I think, a rather elite opportunity, an elite activity. So then there was a movement around creating networks of practitioners. And we know some stuff about that now. By the way, I would just observe in passing that, of course, and Tony made the point about context a moment ago, <clears throat> some systems are welcoming and um, uh, are, are sort of warm towards that possibility. Others are really quite hostile. So if you think about the fact that in England, less now in the UK, but in England, certainly, there was a deliberate intention to set up a market-based system, which was based on choice and therefore competition, which is antithetical to the whole notion of networks. Um, so it, it, it was really quite a hostile environment, whereas other jurisdictions intentionally set about enabling that. And I, I would say even now, where we have the rhetoric in the country I happen to be in of a self-improving system through networks, it is still very heavily market-based and competition-based, so that's problematic. Any case, so then you had that, that little phase. Now I would say third phase of development, if you like. Um, certainly some of us are much more interested in the concept of learning ecosystems than we are in networks. Not because one's passe and a cliche and, and the old hat, that would be stupid and absurd, of course, but only because we think that the solutions for transforming education as opposed to improving the current paradigm must lie in broadening, as it were, the repertoire and the cast list of people who are involved in providing learning opportunities. Of course, schools will be at the heart of that or should be at the heart of that, but there are many other players, stakeholders and contributors. And so we've been interested in the last few years in thinking about how networks evolve into ecosystems. Key difference, they're diverse. Mm. That's the key difference. They're not homogeneous in terms of being within the education family or tribe or, um, or, or um, species, but rather involve culture, creativity, the creative industries, business, you know, the military, the medical profession, whoever, um, who has an interest, and all of us ought to, in creating learning opportunities, which I believe schools can choreograph in a much more profound and significant way for the benefit of young people. So for me, three phases of development, really. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I wonder just to stay on this piece, and Jeff, you jump in if you feel. I mean, what, what do you see at the moment as the big challenges uh, 
you know, in, in kind of the shift, as you've just put it, Valerie, quite articulately, between, you know, from moving from phase two to phase three, how do we get beyond, you know, and, and ultimately as, as leaders, I think it's this interesting shift from, you know, a bunch of leaders to, you know, enabling leadership, you know, and this kind of the concept of the hierarchy shifting, you know, going from a deeply hierarchical kind of this idea of a, a collective agency led group. Uh, and many of you have got examples of continuing to to enable these these kind of spaces to take place. So what are the main challenges? What, what do we want to kind of really kind of tap into? Do you want to come in first, Jeff? No, I, well, I just add to that. Both of you spoke about a little earlier about, um, Valerie, you mentioned networks have made me, and Tony, you talked about uh, complex adaptive systems and ecosystems. But in the past, working more with professional associations, with various bodies and, and ministries of edu education, departments of education. So, I really like to really like to hear about that piece of uh, how are you dealing with the challenges uh, today with what you know about networks and how you're trying to build them. How, how do you move forward in an autonomous fashion with those with those challenges in your way? Yeah. Okay. Let, let me have a go and. Um... See what you think of this, Valerie. I, it strikes me that we are, if we're committed to the to the sort of phase three that Valerie uh, has outlined, uh, which we are, <laughs> right? Um, we're talking about a system shift um, of a kind that we believe can uh, and will only occur mm. uh, with the power of. Uh, to use our language, yeah, the power of, of a network-based system. And I'm using that language interchangeably here, Valerie. I know that uh, it might not be quite the right language to capture what we now see as being um, a far more participatory, peer-driven, right, non-hierarchical, yeah, um, way of operating. Um, I said before I thought that networking was a kind of um, currency, yeah? It's interesting in the paper that uh, Valerie and I uh, prepared on signposts for the future of educational leadership. Uh, toward the end of that paper, uh, Luca and Jeff, mm. we referenced uh, a book by Tims and Hyman's called New Power, yep? Yeah. And they argue that... Uh, and by the way, this new power is socialised power, right? This is influence. Mm. This is not personalised power. And they they don't use the word currency. They use the word current. Yeah, there's a current running through. Um, uh, participative um, uh, uh, decision-making, yeah, um, flatter structures, whatever language you want to use, yeah. Mm. Now, look, in order to get that, system shift into that community uh, uh, based as well. This is, this is kind of new forms of democracy, yeah, all of that. Um, in order to, to operate um, and to get a hospitable system, a healthy ecosystem, um, I reckon that you've got to harness a whole lot of forces uh, quite deliberately and intentionally. It's interesting that when people are talking about system shift at the moment, they're saying um, you'll need to make sure that you enrol 
entrepreneurs. You need to enrol insiders who are also interested in being part of the shift insider-outsider. You need to figure out how you can best convene, Hmm. right? You need to know how you can commission work in order to make sure that all of those resources are being brought to bear. It's not just, oh, let's heighten the level of relational activity and somehow we'll get the system shift. Yeah. Yeah? We'll have to think very carefully about it. And it's not just about saying we replace forms of governance that we've had in previous systems with um, new alliances and coalitions, as if somehow there's not government (laughs) and power, right, and voting systems. And so, uh, Valerie, what I'm trying to push out here is that uh, if we're going to get into this territory, and we've talked about this over many years with GELP, but we've also talked about it within the WISE all-in community, we've talked about it within other big networks, Uh, that we've been associated with, if we're going to get into the space, the third phase, if you like, that Valerie's talked about, um, this reaches every part of how we think about society, economy and politics. So when you said, Luca, you know, um, what are we playing out here? It's huge. Yeah, and when you say, Jeff, well, you might have participated in a whole range of different forms of networking over your lifetime, yeah, absolutely, because at different stages we thought we could get somewhere through uh, professional associations and bodies with the profession leading, or we thought we could get there by creating new intermediaries or agencies that would take responsibility to drive an agenda, or we thought we could get there by ensuring that we're inside the regime, right? And sometimes we thought we'd get there by being completely outside the regime. So. My sense is that we are at a very interesting moment where we've had all of that learning and people are now talking in the language that Valerie's talked about for a major shift in how we do uh, system work in the interest of, by the way, purpose. We haven't been explicit about that, Valerie, but um, if we don't know what we're trying to achieve here, then um, how we go about it is going to be somewhat compromised. Go, go for I, it. I have a slightly different take to Jeff's question about what's the major obstacle, or not about obstacle, but real interesting challenge, mm. of which there are many. But for me, actually, right now, I think it would be bringing it down from 30,000 feet and abstractions uh, and into a kind of a conversation that would be completely intelligible to a parent looking at schools in her area and saying, what's best for my kid? And what emerges, we would want to argue, is a a set of opportunities where the kid isn't trapped on location. The kid will have the benefit of the best practice, the best intelligence that are all the surrounding institutions. And it doesn't kind of matter that she happens to go to this one down the end of the road, Mm. because what she's entering is a system where the practitioners really get together and are, you know, in network learning communities, they used to talk about each institution taking responsibility for every kid in the patch. So like no one was getting excluded. If this school had a particular issue with maybe this this one kid or a set of kids, then it was everybody's problem and everybody piled in to sort out that problem. So that's one thing, accessing the best that's available around, but also not just the expertise of the professional educators, 
But also, if I'm thinking as a parent, what about practical opportunities for my kid to see how the world of work functions? My kid's got real creative you know, talent and, and um, potential. How about getting her in a design studio or seeing how dancers really work? I mean, so for me, we've got to start to translate some abstractions in, and theore theoretical positions, which, by the way, are powerful. We happen to believe that, but then we would, wouldn't we? Um, to a vision of a different kind of approach, which is doable and which seriously mm. shifts the, the possibilities for every kid um, in every ordinary school. Mm. And I suppose for me, you know, turning into a language that's intelligible, really attractive, really desirable, so that people are saying, hey, we want some of that. You know, this idea that you just go to a school and you're trapped in it and that's, you know, all you've got is who happens to rock up amongst the teaching staff there. I mean, it's nuts. Mm. That's a great, that's a really powerful reflection, I think, Valerie. And I wonder, the next, we'd love to dive into the approach for how that happens. Because I think one of the things we've spoken about is this idea of moving. I mean, Tony, you talked about currency becoming current, you know, the power of metaphor and new narrative as well as you both write. Yep. Uh, but what's what's the what's the kind of practical approach that enables kind of a shift away from uh, you know the kind of compliance based model, perhaps Valerie? You know, the idea of go and sit in 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 situ and you know deal with it, as opposed to you know, what's the kind of shift towards this idea of enabling agency, not just within a school but within any kind of network. You know, what is it that enables us to change who we are to be able to do things in a different way, to be in relationship in a different way, I think, with ideas and with each other? Well, I'll kick off, Tony, if, unless you're... No, yeah, no, do. <clears throat> well, it's completely germane to what you're engaged in now, and it's, it's leadership. There has to be the leadership that enables the kind of environment, the climate... <clears throat> that sketches out a different set of possibilities and options in the context of a new narrative about the purpose of what we were about. So for me, it's those two things, mm. which is why in our recent paper, which is all about leadership and its centrality, because <clears throat> I think both of us believe that not much can be done without leadership really stepping up. Um, <clears throat> but the first step in that step up needs to be about a new narrative of, of purpose. And if you do that, if you take that step, and by the way, we're not talking about leaders, you know, parroting some new government slogan. It's like something they feel absolutely in their guts and own and create in context for wherever they happen to be, a working class estate in London or in the wilds of Alberta, wherever it happens to be, It'll, it'll, it'll be interpreted and will express differently. We happen to believe that the fundamentals will be the, the same, which is about thriving in a very different context. Mm. But when, when you start to explore that new purpose, then you're driven down a set of paths, we think, um, which is what opens the whole, the whole thing up to different possibilities. Yeah, and it's interesting, Luca, that you, you, on a couple of occasions you've used the word agency, yeah? So um, there's a sense, I think, in which we, uh, if we're arguing for a learning ecosystem, 
that requires um, serious collaboration, right? <laughs> so it's the leadership of collaboration. Mm. It's the leadership of multiple agents, agencies. It's, it's the leadership that builds trust. Uh, it's the leadership that is that exercises sufficient humility <laughs> about what the solutions will be. Yeah, it's um, that's a different form of leadership, uh, I think, that is going to be absolutely crucial. And going back to the earlier conversation, this can't be done unless uh, the levels of participation, right, the levels of, well, going back to uh, Valerie's point, the levels of democratisation are of a different order. Now, that doesn't mean that you could um, exercise this leadership, and I want to stress this, um, I think it's both end about the the uh, essence of the lived lives, yeah, and the practical <laughs> and the community-based, but within a wider system mm. of uh, governance and within a wider system of uh, society and economy. I mean, we are really interested, uh, obviously, in having really healthy local communities that are empowered, but they will only be empowered ultimately if they're living in a healthy system. So yeah. the, the question about how you handle right the multiple layers here is really important, and that's where I would want government and governance, uh, again, to use language that Valerie and I have for, for years, to, to shift from um, provider and regulator to enabler and broker. How do you how do you get how do you get an environment in which all that Valerie is talking about right is not going to constantly come up against? Um, uh, oppositional forces, right? Now, okay, it, it, it's going to be an evolving, emerging exercise, but I reckon that there's enough that we've experienced in the last couple of years. In my country alone, Luca, that happens to be one that you share, right, we've come off, like so many have, before the pandemic, other total disasters, including fire and flood, that have been ultimately that it's communities yeah. that have come through as the way in which you think about how you can construct your lives, support each other, right, become more powerful. But you can't do that unless you've got a wider enabling system. And I do think now we are looking at much more advanced ways of doing this work cooperatively, right? Um, it's not... it. it, it and I think, by the way, if we had more time, we might want to talk about what I see as being an even more powerful evolution of intermediaries that uh, I'm hearing about all the time. I think basically we lot have been part of that in one form or another and the language changes, but yeah. often these intermediaries now are legitimised, right, by government mm. and therefore uh, it strikes me more opportunity where you've got people's heads in this in the right direction with leadership that's supportive Valerie the kind of leadership that you've talked about yep uh, we've got a real chance of being able to see community driven solutions but that have got serious implications for the whole of economy and society so look we can have another conversation about that the other thing Jeff I'd say quickly is um, in education 
this, and you and I have been part of this conversation for a long time, this will require a different kind of profession um, and a profession that shares responsibility in very different ways, that has got different allies, that understands the power of young people, as Valerie said, understands the importance of parents and family and community that gets the fact that you have to act differently with uh, paraprofessionals and allied professionals to support the work. All of that's part of this conversation as well. And, you know, depending on what your point of entry is, Luca, mm. you know, you can have this conversation from so many different angles. And, you know, I, I hear in what you're sharing, and I've heard it before from both of you as well, so I know it's a, it's a value. We, we need to move from trying to reform the system that we currently have to transforming education. But in some ways, that's a, that's a dark message. Um, I, I have a favorite folk singer, Bruce Coburn, who has a line in one of his songs, you have to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. Um, so I, I'm wondering in the work that you've done in your networks, it's a big job. You need to, we need to transform teacher organizations and, and get them working better with ministries of education, with departments of education, that kind of thing. We need to transform those departments of education and how they work and maybe do with, away with them altogether. I know our neighboring provinces, uh, I was in a meeting on the weekend where they talked about forming the ministry of the child and moving social services and, and uh, uh, health and a variety of other ministries that from the time a child is born until they exit uh, 12th grade and, and finish, finish their formal schooling, that, that there'd be one ministry that met, met their needs or sought to meet their needs. So I'm wondering, I said there's darkness in it. Have you seen successes in, in the networks that you're building in, in attempting to do this or achieve this grand vision? Absolutely. I mean, as, as you were both speaking, I was reflecting on the last decade. I tell you, this is to your point about the legitimation of different kinds of organisations. When a scene grow up, particularly in the US, but also in Australia and in the UK, a whole slew of organisations, um, which were kind of just, just didn't ex exist a decade ago. Mm. Um, Unless you were a government agency or a power agency or government itself or local government, you know, what else was there? Now you've got, well, you know, the interventions are outfits like WISE and WISE All In. You've yeah. got Remake Learning. You've got Education Reimagined. You've got Reschool Colorado. You've got, you know, here in, the, in this country, a whole education or in... Um, in, in BC Networks of Inquiry. Learning Creates Australia. Mm. You've got, well, you know, you could reel off half a dozen. So all of these organisations simply didn't exist as, a, as an entity before. Yeah. What are they doing? Well, they're bloody networking. Mm. They're enabling practitioners to shine the light on a different form of practice, make it readily available. Of course, technology has, has enabled this in a way that just wasn't possible. Changes everything. <laughs> Changes everything about, except for what goes on in classrooms. But hey, anyway, so they... They are now seriously enabling any teacher, any school to tap into a network, even if their school isn't interested in doing that, and become, you know, have a sense of movement and shift because they find their tribe. And they find a different level of, of discourse and ambition and possibility. So the other thing they learn is that it's doable. You know, you, you can transform your own practice. And to your point, um, Luca, particularly around 
enabling the agency, not just the teachers, but particularly of learners and young people. And that's something that I think increasing numbers of teachers are really powerfully gripped by. So these organizations, often um, enabled by philanthropy, um, there are other sources as well. I mean, sometimes they're almost sort of crowdfunded. Um, Tony and I, I think we tried a while back to do a kind of a, na- a mapping of those, Tony, didn't we? And, you know, <laughs> entertain yeah. the wild idea of creating kind of network of networks. Nuts, you know, it's, 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 it's too elusive mm. and too fluid um, to, to, to do that. Nobody's going to do it. If they think they can, it's, it'll be out of their grasp in no time at all. Uh, but in our effort to bring together other kinds of networks, we started to notice really what they were doing irrespective of what formal systems of governments um, and indeed teachers' professional associations were doing. Mm. And these other organisations, these new, let's call them the new kids on the block, um, increasingly had a, had a new agenda as well, who were talking the language of transformation, who understood the urgency of all of this and didn't see it as kicking at the dark, Jeff, because there's too much of the light that's around. It's in little pinpricks around and about. Mm. But to proceed with the metaphor, what these organisations do is, is join up those dots and say, hey, look, you know, yeah. in all kinds of contexts, transformational practice is really possible. Now, we may still be going against the damn grain here, mm. but sometime soon, the grain is going to catch up with us. Yeah. And so that's incredibly empowering, I think. And just wasn't there to a decade ago, just from yeah. there. Yeah, I, reckon, I think that's that. I'm absolutely in that space, Valerie. We, we are on the move, right? Um, there's a real sense of momentum now um, across jurisdictions. Uh, uh, obviously within jurisdictions. And so when Barry just talked about the network of networks, um, do you know, I, a decade ago, you know, we might have talked about uh, networkers and brokers, you know, maybe even boundary writers. <laughs> now, you know, now we talk about weavers, yes. right? We're talking about uh, system conveners. Mm. Yeah. Think about the language that has actually been now populating our conversations, and this is not um, language that's only uh, used by, you know, a small number of people. They mightn't quite use the same uh, terminology, but they mean the same. There are new emerging roles that are being exercised yet that suggest to me what Valerie is saying, more light, yeah, Mm. more light. And um, I reckon that uh, there's a real sense that now... Take the system convener role. You know, how do you actually have the authority to do that? Uh, where do you get your legitimacy from? Yeah, you, you, you have to constantly negotiate it, right? And it doesn't just happen. There's not some space that's opened up for you. People talk about working hard to get a social licence to be able to do the work. Increasingly... It's not just about low-level collaboration, even though I think that's really important, you know, a cooperative endeavour, right? This is really serious work and people are investing in it. And what I love about it is people come into the space. Valerie used to use the language uh, as we worked our way through the innovation space over many years of, um, you know, trapped on location, 
beautiful exceptions, yeah? Now, if you're a first mover, your first move after being a first mover is to connect. <laughs> like, don't think you can be a, a first mover without getting into the, the bloodstream, mm. right, of the new power, the new influence that allows you to do your work better, yeah, and therefore contribute to the whole. This is not about, as you said, a market and a slice of the market yeah. where you're going to get some kind of comparative or competitive advantage. This is about lifting the health of the entire system in order that people live great lives. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's it's a very different kind of conversation. And the frustration we've felt um, over the last decade as the forces have gathered, the economic, social, political forces, and all the things that are going to undermine what we're talking about, they're alive and well. Yeah. I've got to believe that we seriously are making a move, right, in the direction that we're talking about because that's our hope. This is absolutely our hope that we're going to defeat those other forces. So, um, I'm, Jeff, I'm, I'm with you, by the way, about the fact that, yeah, it is a light and dark conversation, but um, I really feel like uh, we are on the move. And the other point to quickly make, I know we're going to stop here oh, very soon, but, Luca, you and I have talked about this. You, you are in the game of social and emotional learning big time. If you are not able... Yeah. To be in the trans, you can't be in the transformation business without transforming yourself. Precisely. Well, you know, you can try, but it won't work. It won't go very well, I don't think. And I, I want to bring Valerie. I want to bring you in here. And I think this this idea that the more we speak about this, it's been spoken as systemness. I, I think this. And Tony, I hear you say this all the time. We are the system itself. So we can't talk about any change without. Also considering when did we last update our own mental model? Are we also kind of manifesting our own sense of purpose, you know, autonomy and mastery to, you know, pull on Daniel Pink's work from over a decade ago? You know, some of the core constructs maybe that are just part of beautiful learning ecosystems, powerful learning experiences, great learning environments. Um, we just, yeah, this idea of transcending almost those previous states of understanding, of being. And I think, Tony, to your point, and Valerie, you speak so beautifully about this all the time, it's the language that we use that I think will, will demonstrate where we're, what our belief actually is. And so, Valerie, what would you add to that as well? Because you've spoken so much about what we believe education to be for. You know, how do we thrive? In, what is success? And even success is problematic. But what do you want to contribute to that piece there? I'm not sure I can, Luca, really. I mean, um, as I interjected um, a few paragraphs back, sometimes I think we need to conceptualise this and, and get it right because that sort of matters. But we've also got to come down from 30,000 feet. Mm. We have got to create a language which is intelligible and absolutely connects with the everyday concerns that people have got um, and, and sort of understand those. Um, so it's it's kind of working at those two levels, really, that I think um, will take us through. And of course, that's what that's what successful politicians do. And yeah. I think part of our problem in getting political traction here, we might be increasingly getting movement traction amongst um, teaching staff, um, amongst many many leaders, but very little movement in terms of uh, of political traction. Why is that? Well, I, I mean, I could hypothesize, but I, I suspect that a certain generation of politicians have not yet found the authentic language 
um, that they can feel really comfortable with um, when they speak to the press, mm. when they're on campaign, um, when they're creating, you know, their the, the political agendas. Mm. Um, and they reach back to the, to the old kind of formulae and that they're trapped in it. And I, I think part of our task must be somehow to find a way to enable politicians to embrace this agenda in the way that they have. I mean, it must give us comfort that on climate emergency, what used to be kind of very fairy, nobody's business, my God, we're not going there because everybody thinks their life will be destroyed. Um, and, you know, obviously some right-wing politicians still do think that if you talk about divesting yourself of coal, everyone's life will come to an end. I will mention no national leaders in this conversation who might take such a position. And I do not think it reflects upon their citizens. So I wouldn't want to to that. (laughs) No, okay. But so in the same way that politicians have been able to make a shift and adopt a language which now totally resonates, um, they, you know, they may not go for the agenda with with full-bloodedly, but at least they're getting into the territory of different sorts of purposes. You know, we had we had an insight way back. Tony, I wonder if you'll remember at this point when we were really in, in our baby days of, of trying to understand innovation in education. And one of these striking things, one of the insights that came to us during that period was that it's not about innovating techniques and procedures and so forth. When, when you look at innovation, actually what happens first and foremost is that there's a shift of values. Yeah. And I used to illustrate this when doing sort of presentations to people. Think about the shift from the internal combustion engine to the electric car. It, it, it might happen because of the technology. It will really happen because our values shift. Mm. We don't value anymore making a lot of noise and, you know, um, brum, brum and uh, all that. Actually, now we value some other things that matter more to us than those status symbols and even convenience possibly. So the shift, this sounds convoluted, trust me, I'm, I'm getting back there. Um, there has to be that, that shift of values around what matters, really, really matters. And so I'm sorry, we're driven back to the narrative piece about what is this for? If you think it's just about getting your kid into the, 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 the most high paying job, you're missing the point. And we're not communicating that well. And politicians are too scared or disabled or not literate enough to take up that narrative either. And I don't think we'll get the real kind of shift that we want. Stop being oppositional and being part of the, you know, the, the wave of change until we manage to enlist politicians. I believe it will be a new generation of politicians. I hope I live to see it, but anyhow, who, who can really take that up um, and, and make it part of a whole new political perspective. Well, PS for that to me is, yep, we want politicians who seriously are committed to participative democracy, not just representative democracy, and are absolutely committed to community action. And you can't have any of that without the power of networking. I would just say an enormous thank you uh, to you, Tony, to you, Valerie, um, to you, Jeff, as well. for being part of this conversation today. You know, really, some really powerful takeaways. Great, thank you. Yeah, thanks for enabling it. This is a series, it's a special.
special collaboration between the World Innovation Summit for Education, the All In Network, and the Learning Future.